Good morning. Welcome to the first service. Congratulations on Spring Forward Sunday. You're here at the first service. Uh, that's, that's amazing. And for those who are tuning in, probably on spring break, actually watching live, like I got to catch it live. Hey, well done all around. Uh, so we're glad that you're here. We're going to continue this study of Hebrews that we, be, we began way back in September. Deep book. I want to ask you a question. How many of you, since we started back in September, at some point through our study of Hebrews have had this experience? People are talking and maybe it's connection group or in the foyer afterwards and like, wow, Jesus Christ is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's brought us to Mount Zion. He's the mediator of a new covenant. We are sprinkled by his blood, which is better than the blood of Abel. And and you're, they're just like, wow, praise the Lord. And you're listening, and you're in this conversation, and you're just like nodding your head, and people in connection group are talking, and how this is impacting them and changing their lives, and you're just like nodding your head, oh, yeah, totally. But you actually have no idea what they're talking about. You're like, I don't know what any of those words you just said mean at all, right? I, I'm faking excitement because I feel like if I'm also not excited about that, I might not be a Christian. And I don't know what you're talking about. The blood sprinkled of Abel and Mount Zion and Melchizedek. And I have no idea. I've been lost. Some of you have been like, hey, I've been lost all year. Um, I'm here for the music. Uh, yeah, Hebrews, I, I don't get it. Here's what I want to say to you if, that's, if you've had that experience at some point. Congratulations. You know what that means? It, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Probably not. You know what it probably means? You are what we call a down-to-earth person, right? You are probably a practical, concrete thinker, common sense. You want to learn things that are helpful to your actual life. Like, how is this going to matter when I get home today or on Monday morning when I go off to work? How is this going to change my life? You're, you're a practical person. And while all of us heavenly-minded people are, you know, talking about all these great truths, you're wanting just to, okay, let's get to work. What does this mean? Well, congratulations. The next six weeks are for you. We've got six weeks in chapter 13 where the writer takes all these amazing truths about Jesus, our great high priest, and he says, okay, this is what this actually looks like. So some of you are like, sweet, I, I can get this. This shouldn't be hard unless I, it's possible that I will overcomplicate all of this and make it more confusing than it should be. But you guys uh, should be able to, to, to find something today. We've got a few things that I want us to think about. And our text is, I'm going to start in Hebrews 12, 28. It's uh, the last couple verses of chapter 12 and see how it flows into 13. So he says, therefore... You know, in light of everything he's talked about, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, here's chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, 
Some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. You know what all these great truths about Jesus mean practically today? Three things. One, love each other like family. Two, invite strangers into your life. And three, identify with hurting people. Now, you don't have to write all those down right now because they'll be coming up here in a minute, but we'll take those one by one. He says, therefore, in light of the last 12 chapters, the summary here is since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is kind of the the summary here of, of all he said to this point is, hey guys, we are being given this kingdom that, that can't be shaken. He's looking at the kingdoms of the world that are shaking. And he says, look, we have a, a kingdom that that's not shaking. We're looking around at an earth that's shaking. And, and he says in verse 27, when I didn't read about, there's a final judgment where there's going to be one last time that God shakes the earth in judgment, brings everything under the authority of King Jesus. That's a day that we are eagerly anticipating. But he's, he's looking around at the earth and he's saying, it's shaking, isn't it? Wait, let me check to make sure it's still shaking. I need to check the news this morning. Here it is. See what's going on in the news. To, yep, still shaking. Earth is still shaking. Uh, let's see. What do you think in 15 minutes? Check the news again. It's still shaking, right? Up inflation or all this stuff that's going on in our world. And like the, the 24-7 news cycle is basically a reminder of, yep, still shaking, right? The earth is still shaking. But here's the thing. But not for you. Christian. You are a part of a kingdom. You are a citizen of a kingdom, and the ground is not shaking under your feet. You are receiving this kingdom that's not shaking. It's unshakable. Now, here's how citizens of this unshakable kingdom live. He says, we're, because of this, because of all these truths, we're thankful. We hold on to grace We serve God with reverence and awe. But then he explains specifically what this serving God with reverence and awe looks like. This is where we're coming down from the mountain to see what does this look like into our daily lives. 13.1, let brotherly love continue. Some of you guys, uh, you may not even know Greek, but you know what this word is. Everyone in this room knows what this Greek word is, brotherly love. What is the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia, right? Philo, love, brotherly love. Adelphia is like brother or sister. So Philadelphia is let this brotherly, familial love Continue, so let's get practical. Unshakable kingdom people. Here's what we do. We, number one, love each other like family. The implications of all that we've learned this entire year, application, number one is, so therefore, 
love each other like brothers and sisters, like family. In Matthew 23, remember Jesus is calling out the hypocrites in the kind of the Jewish system, these rabbis and teachers and Pharisees. And, and he says, hey, I don't want you guys, you disciples, calling each other rabbi, father, teacher. Why? Because he says, you're all brothers and sisters. You're a family. Like, we're gonna do, kingdom people do life differently than these religious systems. They're all about a performance, religious performance. They're all about titles and like pursuing this power and authority. And he goes, you guys are gonna be different. You guys are gonna be like family, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you a question. Now, this is not complicated, but let's talk, let's unpack this a little bit, see what this looks like. What's the number one thing that, that families do? You'd say a lot of things. I think one of the things families do is families get together, don't they? They just get together. It's like, why are you going home for Thanksgiving? I don't know. I don't like any of these people, but they're family, right? That's what we do. We just like get back together. Uh, why, are you, yeah, why are you spending spring break in this nice warm place with family? It's like, you know, you could be with anyone on earth and it's these people, <laughs> It's family, right? That's how you just, that's family. That's what we do. Well, we are no different. Why do we get together every Sunday and have that awkward, like, hey, meet someone new around you? Why do we do that? We do that because they don't do that at basketball games. Like, hey, everyone, before we tip off, sing the national anthem, why don't we just take a minute and just introduce yourself to the people around you? Give them a warm welcome. Or the, the band, the concert's about to light. And the, the, you know, the front band person stops the show and is like, hey, just take a minute, greet those around you. That's, it's weird that we do that, isn't it? It's weird, let's face it. Well, there's a reason we do that. And there's a reason we show up on Sunday, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. We show up. Because that's what families do. We get together. This is another reason I'm super excited. I've, I've seen a lot of families and people that are, that are even continuing to, to come back. Uh, you know, it's been a long couple years, right, uh, since, since COVID. And I'm seeing new people coming back. And I just, I love that. It's like, welcome back. This is, this is family. And we, we get together. It's what we do. And even if you've been wandering for a long time, we just want to say, welcome back. Welcome back into the family. So that's what we do. But there's a danger of, in this thing that we're doing here this morning. There's a danger in this thing right here. What is this thing? Well, it's like 750 chairs all facing one person. There's a danger in this. It's that you can start thinking about church as an event. Like it's, it's this thing that you show up to and you come and sit down and you listen to a band and sing along and, and kind of listen to this, this person who's up here speaking. 
There's a danger in that. So think about it this way. Answer this question. If you had to answer this question uh, and someone asks you, how was church this morning? So everything you've experienced to this point, you just have to answer that question. How was church this morning? What is your answer to that question typically? How, how do you answer that question? Well, I usually answer it in terms of how was the musical and preaching performance, right? How did you like the music this morning? Was, that, was the volume good? Did you get everyone volume okay? Uh, a little loud and it's hot and, you know. Look at where the speakers are. Figure out where you're going to sit. Uh, you forgot the volume. Figure out the songs you like. Uh, how, was the, how was the sermon? Like, did it, was it funny? Did it hit you? Was it engaging? All these things. So you talk about those things, right? Like that, hey, how was church? Well, it was like, how was the performance of church? But that's not the heart of, you can see here, Hebrews 13, like that's not the first application of that. The first application of Jesus is our great high priest is, Love each other like brothers and sisters. Not, you'll make sure you, you show up and, at, you know, this big event every Sunday. And that, of course, that's important. Of course, it's important to talk about how God spoke to you through worship and the word. But church ultimately is not something you consume like a basketball game or a concert or, or a movie or something like that. Um, if I were to ask you, you know, how, how was your uh, Thanksgiving? How was your Christmas? And you start going off on how uh, dad, you know, way he dried out the chicken on the grill. And I mean, grandma's uh, potato salad was like way too salty. I'm like, uh, mm, that's great. I mean, food's important. Food really matters. But I'm, I'm kind of asking, how was your time with your family, right? How was, how was, how's your mom? How's your dad, brothers, sisters, like, how was the interaction? How was the time? Right? That's what ultimately families get together and families about the relationships, right? Not just the event of it, the performance of it. So everything we do at Veritas is we try to create environments so that two things can happen. One, so that you can come to know Jesus more. You can learn more about Jesus we want you to, to know Jesus. And the second purpose of every environment that we create here at Veritas through programs or whatever, it's so that you will know each other. So you can get to know the people in your family. This is a huge family. There's like a ton of people to get to know, which is great news for you if you're like, yeah, I, I don't care for this person that's in the family. Well, there's probably someone else that you will care for, right? There's a lot of personalities and people here, a lot of, of ages represented, the diversity of the people in this room. You'll probably find someone that you can connect with. It's pretty cool. Like you show up and you, you just get to know the family, right? It's pretty cool that way. But that's the point of what we're doing. And here's just a little bit of advice for you. If you're new to Veritas and you're like, I still don't, I don't feel like, I don't know any of the family. Well, don't wait for us to create the perfect program for you. Don't wait for the paid professionals of Veritas Church to email you back, right? Because if you emailed me, chances are it's, it's like buried and it's one of 2,000 emails in my inbox. I'm sorry. 
This, can, I, can, I delete my, can I delete all my emails now? Because I just did this big apology. Like, sorry for everyone who I haven't responded to. Okay, that, that's great. I can clear my inbox now. Um, but what I'm saying is, is take that step. Take that step to meet the people around you. And I love how, how Coach said it uh, during announcements. Like, find, find someone and just someone new. And like, hey, I, I'm Mark. What's your name? I don't know if we've met yet. Take that step. And, and this thing we say at Veritas all the time, if you want it to be there, you got to bring it. If you come to church and you want the family to be there, you know, the, the love, you got to bring the family. You got to bring the love into the room. You want that welcoming atmosphere? You got to bring that into the room. And so that's the encouragement here on this point. I'm just thinking, man, what would our church look like if we saw each other as brothers and sisters? Wow. This would be a different place, wouldn't it? This would be something that the world would look at and say, I, I, I want in on that. Look at verse two, the second thing. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. This word here for hospitality, don't neglect to show hospitality. This is cool. The first word is Philadelphia, which is like love of brothers and sisters. This is kind of a similar word. It has the same beginning, phileo, but it's phileo exenia, which you've heard the word xenophobia. It's like the fear of people from other countries, your fear of people who are different from you, right? Strangers, uh, this word is, say, is the opposite of xenophobia. It's saying a love of strangers. The, the second implication here is, is this love of strangers. And, and it's, it's a, this word that's translated into English, hospitality. Don't neglo, neglect philoxenia, which is hospitality, the love of strangers. And hospitality is... I was thinking about this, like, does that word really capture the, the heart of this, of this Greek word? I think it does. I think it's actually the perfect word, hospitality. Uh, I, was, I was looking at, I love words, language. What's the, think about this. What's the root word of hospitality? Hospital. What is a Hospital. A hospital, uh, from Latin, this, this hospice is Latin for guest or stranger. So a hospital, like by the etymology of the word, is like guest lodging. It's a place where strangers come and it becomes a house of healing for strangers. Isn't that cool when you think about the, what a hospital is? Like anyone can go to the hospital and they're just like welcomed as a guest. And the first thing, they just come in and they're like, how can we serve you? And it's immediate. It's like, we care about you. That's the church. Veritas. It's a house of healing. Isn't that cool? That's what we're doing this morning. Like, you come in and 
We get it, right? We're hurting. There's a lot of people and struggles and heartache and suffering and affliction that's represented. And you come in and we're like, welcome to our hospital, our house of healing. This is a place for strangers to be welcomed. Right? We, we meet you where you're at and we just wanna love you where you're at and help you to find healing in Jesus. That's what we are. And you know what you are as you leave? Your life, your house, is kind of a hospital outpost. We're like all these little hospitals around where we just invite people into our lives and we love them where they're at and we model this application of Jesus is our great high priest, order of Melchizedek. We welcome strangers. And the reason we do that is because that is exactly what Jesus did for us, right? The gospel is that Jesus welcomed us. We were the strangers. We get it, right? Because we were the ones who were foreigners and didn't belong, and he came into our world, invited us into his family. And so now we model that. And he says this, this crazy thing. Have you, have you seen this before? For by doing this hospitality thing, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Whoa. You guys, we had the crazy story. We had this, uh, this guy came over to our house one time and uh, he ate dinner with us, and as he walked out the door, he disappeared. No, I'm just kidding. That's not a real story. Um, we all think, of like, is that what he's talking about here? Like, you, you, you just, like, welcome these, these people that they're an actual angel, and they're just, like, yeah, they're there one moment, they're gone. And, and so you might think, like, is the motivation here for hospitality, like, hey, you never know. You might have that story that happens to you, Right? Well, I think that actually misses the point a little bit because here's what he's doing. He's referring back to Genesis 18. And in Genesis 18, 18 and 19, it's a story of Abraham and Lot. And in both of those chapters, they open their homes. Uh, other cultures do this better. If you've traveled overseas, you'll know that other countries uh, and cultures do hospitality, I think, better than most Americans. But um, it, the ancient culture, they invited these, these people in and they were actually angels. So he's referring to that. But I think the point here is this. If you think about what happened in both of those events with Abraham and Lot, is that these, these people were saved because they hosted these visitors from God, right? The point of this being hospitable because you never know if you're entertaining an angel is it's all about the unexpected results of loving a stranger. Think about this. When you invite a stranger into your life, you never know what God might do. You have no idea what God is going to do through you stepping out in faith. And so the second point here of application to all of this 
is that unshakable kingdom people invite strangers into their life. So invite strangers into your life. This is scary, isn't it? Do any of you guys like kind of get the butterflies in your stomach feeling when you think about going and just talking to a stranger or inviting a stranger into your life? That's kind of scary, isn't it? It involves some risk. Like, what if I stumble over my words? What if I look like a fool? My dad, he always says this phrase, don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. Isn't that a cool phrase? I, I know he probably got it from someone else. Um, don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. What does that mean? It means don't be afraid to be the one that takes the first step. Like, None of us want to love the most, like none of us want to be the person who's, who's like stepping out there and taking that risk, but don't be afraid to take that step. If God puts something on your heart to do, like, hey, you should like encourage that person or pray for that person. Don't just stuff that thought down, like take the step, go to them and tell them, hey, I was thinking about you this week and I don't know, it's kind of crazy, but... Is there something going on in your life? Something I can pray for you about? Don't be afraid to do this. This is permission to be awkward here. This, this week, uh, there was a guy at Noonball, very different from me. He made this offhanded comment about being a hypochondriac, and I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, oh, man, I've been fine my whole life, and then I go to the doctor, and they tell me, my heart is, part of my heart is enlarged. And I was like, man, dude, I'm sorry to hear that. And he start, we started talking about his last couple months and all the stuff that he's been through. I was like, I, he's like, I was fine. It must be all in my head. And, but now I'm worried. I think about it all the time. And I'm just asking him about it. I was like, hey, can I get your number? He's like, sure. He gives me his number. And so afterwards, I was uh, just praying for him, right? And I texted him. And this is what I texted him. I just felt like, man, I, I, want, I want to text this guy. So I crossed out his name and stuff. Hey, this is Mark Aaron from Noonball. Sorry to hear about your heart and the anxiety that comes with that. I'll be praying for you. And I wanted to share a verse that gives me hope when I'm anxious. John 16, 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he died on the cross. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Praying for you to have that peace and that God heals your heart. Now, some of you might be thinking, mm, mm, that's a little, uh, you came in a little strong, don't you think? A little preachy. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna throw down a John 16, 33 on this dude that you don't even really know that well. You don't even probably know how to spell his name. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I did, you know, but they call me preach at ball because I, I, they know I'm a pastor and stuff. And so they, so hey, I, hey, that's what you get when you play with me is you might get a sermon, but some of you guys might like, this is a little embarrassing. You probably could have yeah, done this a little differently. Um, but wait till you see the response. I just want, I just want you guys to see because I, I only showed you the first half of this. Just check out this response, what he said. 
Do you see his response? No, because I got ghosted. He didn't respond. Okay, so that's just like putting myself out there. And this is what I get, just ghosted. Okay, this is what it looks like when you love strangers sometimes. But you know what I say? And some of you are like, see, that's why I don't do this kind of stuff. Because that's what happens, right? But my theory is that my bad method of sharing the gospel is better than your method of not sharing the gospel. So anyway, you have that. Um, but that's, that's my theory. Like you just, you just like put yourself out there sometimes. I see people doing this all over our church. I see people, I mean, of course, uh, the, the Haver champs, right? I see uh, others. I'm looking out at the Rao family. I'm looking out at, at uh, I mean, I see, uh, I was thinking about Chris and Lisa Olson this week. They're opening their home to international students and the way they love people. I'm just like, I could just start talking about the people in this room who just invite people into their life. It's so cool. Get around people that do this, like find Brad and Kelsey Verkler and just say like, how do you do that? Like talk to Dave and Marie Hicks after the sermon, say, hey, what does this look like? How do we do this? So many of you, you model this so well. And I just wanna encourage you, that's, that's what it looks like to invite strangers. It's, it's better uh, to invite people into your life and home than, than a text, but oh, that's whatever. Uh, take that risk, verse three. Last thing, he says, remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. In the first century, prisons were like dungeons and they didn't take care of their prisoners with meals and clothes. So prisoners often went cold and hungry and they depended on people bringing them something. And Hebrews is saying, hey, Christian, be the kind of people that take food and clothes to people who are hurting and that need it. That's the kind of people we should be. This is like a step beyond just loving a stranger. This is like loving a prisoner, which is an even greater risk because in the first, they wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do that in the first century because you might get identified with that prisoner, right? Like, oh, they're friends with them. Now it's costing you your social credibility. You're going to be considered guilty with them or ostracized with them. So the third point here is unshakable kingdom people identify with hurting people. He says, as though you yourselves were suffering bodily, like their suffering is my suffering. Like I feel it deeply and I come alongside and I'm with them as though it's happening to me. That's, that's, a, that's an amazing statement in verse three. There was a study that, that found that um, poor people often are more generous with other people in need. And I, I can't remember what they called this. Uh, it's like a a social phenomenon like, uh, like a compassion deficit or something like that. Like when wealthy people look at poor people or someone who's suffering, they tend to say, well, they deserve it. Like, because I work so hard and I'm not just gonna give them what I have because I earn this. Whereas like poor people are like, hey, I get it. 
I don't have much, but here, have what I have. And that's how we, we get this, right, as Christians, because we, we know what it's like to be spiritually poor and lost and, and hurting, right? We, we, so we reach out to people. We have compassion. And, you know, so much is going on in our world, um, obviously, the, with Ukraine, and, and, and our hearts just ache. And I was reading this, this article um, and it just, uh, oh, on Gospel Coalition, and you can find some stuff there that, that talks about the church and how the churches are doing and, and how pastors are, are thinking through the, the trials and suffering, and it just, it just, oh, it just tears your heart apart. There was a, uh, someone in Veritas who has a personal connection with a ministry and people in Ukraine, so Veritas, we, we sent some money to this ministry to help with that, so if you give to Veritas, you have... Uh, done something that way, uh, that, that's something we did corporately, but, but also, I, you're just, all of us are saying, what do we do, how do we, we just, we can pray, but this, this also is a phenomenon that with social media, some of you have compassion fatigue, right? You're just taking in so much of all, all the suffering, and for those of you that, that do have uh, a lot of Compassion, you're just gifted that way. Uh, sometimes it's overwhelming to you because it's almost like you get bombarded with too much. And so my advice to you here in application to verse three is maybe to turn your eyes away from the screen and onto the people that are just right in front of you. Even think about the Good Samaritan story. It wasn't someone they were scrolling through and, and saw this person that was online on another part of the world and had, no, it was like they were walking by this person and they saw this person on the side of the road, right? I would say love the person who's the mistreated, suffering person you need to focus on. It's the person that's right there in your life. Love that person. Well, there is a better way than just texting and just praying. I think that this whole idea of loving like family, inviting strangers in, identifying with hurting people, is the closer you get to someone relationally, the greater your impact will be and the more you will be a personal presentation of Jesus to the world. Here's a time where I didn't just send a text. Um, there was a, we were new to this neighborhood uh, in Ames when we, we bought our first house. And uh, in this neighborhood, we're like, nobody really talked to us or anything. So we just thought, hey, let's, we'll go meet our neighbors. So we, we, brought, uh, we brought this one house on the corner of this street. We brought them a meal or brownies or something like that. And I, I will never forget their response because they were like, um, thank you, but basically said, we don't want to have any relationship with you. It was crazy. And we're like, oh, okay. You know, kind of walked, walked away, like taking that risk and got totally rejected by our neighbors. And so we started praying for that couple. And guess what happened? Uh, about a year later, a for sale sign went up and that couple moved away. So that didn't work. So we started praying for the people who are going to move into the house, right? And so we're just like, Lord, bring, 
this next couple, that they'll be open to you. And so this next couple moved in and they were our age, similar age. And they were out on a walk. We struck up a conversation. Next thing you know, they're in our living room. We're talking about the gospel, the Bible. They never heard of Moses, didn't know anything about you know, the Red Sea or all those Bible stories where like, hey, you should watch that Disney show, Prince of Egypt, like learn about some of that stuff. Ended up all of us, the four of us together on our knees and they were accepting Jesus. You guys, all these years later, like 20, it's been 22 years later, this couple, they got four kids, they're this awesome Christian family, and generations upon generations will be transformed by the gospel. It's just stepping out there. And here's the gospel in this is, this is what Jesus did for us. Think about the risk to the point of death on a cross. And now this is where it gets real. Church, come down off the mountain and all this cool stuff you've learned about Hebrews, you know, stop philosophizing and, and just sitting around at a coffee shop talking about how cool it is that Jesus is a high priest and start doing something about it. Loving each other like family, inviting strangers in and having compassion for those who are suffering. Let's pray together. We're gonna close and I'm gonna give you a chance to apply this right now in prayer. I'm actually not gonna pray for you, but I'm just gonna lead you in prayer. Anyone can do this, right? You don't have to be smart to do this kind of stuff. So we're gonna apply this sermon right now. I just wanna, I want you to start by praying for a brother or sister in Christ. Just in your, in your heart, just kind of, you don't have to say this out loud, but just say their name a brother or sister in Christ, and pray for them. I'll pray for an outsider, someone in your life that, that doesn't know Jesus. I just can be real simple, right? Jesus, save my friend, fill in the blank. I'm praying for that guy in my text that I texted. Lastly, just pray for people who are suffering right now. Maybe someone in your life that you know, or, or maybe uh, this would be a good time to pray for the church in Ukraine, the refugees. Jesus, we do, we live in prosperity and, and um, we just remember that, that this morning there are people that are suffering and we just, we just do pray for, especially for the church in Ukraine, that you will give them wisdom to know how to, to love like you love, how to love enemies, how to love each other. God, give them peace and courage and strength, Jesus. Protect them. We do pray that for peace there. 
Jesus, thank you for being a great high priest who stepped into our world and loved us. We were orphans, and now you call us family. Thank you. And Jesus, as we are sent out here, Holy Spirit, lead us to be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.